So, um, I, I just kind of want to. I just kind of want to get right to it tonight. Um, I am really enthralled by magic. Uh, we have an elder here that uh, does car tricks, and it's crazy to watch. Uh, Pastor Jeff is uh, the guy who can do magic. It's crazy to watch him, like pull out these card tricks. You know, where you think the card's gone, and all of a sudden it appears. I was thinking about magic a lot, and so I got on YouTube and I just started like. YouTubing um, Magic Revealed, and I wouldn't uh, necessarily do that. There's some interesting things that come up, but, and now all of you are going to get on. Perfect. Um, but there's this one trick that I saw described. So some of you guys have seen the, uh, the Ever Classic uh, bottle cap, like, get transferred into the bottle. Have you seen that? So basically, uh, the magician has a bottle cap in his hand, and he has a bottle. And he just starts, like, beating it, and then eventually the cap, like, pops in the bottle, right? And so initially, like, how in the world? So this one really weird-looking dude uh, described how it happened. And basically, basically, the magician's ring is a magnet. And so on his ring, already in the cup, because he's holding the cup like this, is a, is a second bottle cap. And so he has one in his hand, and he starts hitting it. What the very time he releases it, he, kinda, he throws it to himself, releases the ring, catches it, and then the other one drops in the can. And he's like, voila, right? And all of you are really confused by now. The, the point is, um, the point is, magic, the whole premise is smoke and mirrors, right? It's deception, ultimately. It's they really didn't get cut in half. I'm not sure how it happened, but they're really still a person, right? Um, tonight's text many people have described as the Moses magic show. Um, Crazy stuff will happen tonight. We'll see weird things. And this is just the beginning in Exodus. But I love that I serve a God that is not deceptive. I love that God's works are never illusion. Like God never has a handkerchief, right? And And he like flips it up and then all of a sudden something disappears. When God moves, it's real. Some of you have experienced it firsthand In others of you tonight, I'm praying that you do. And I want to make sure you understand this. It feels sometimes so not real. And then we begin to believe that it's not real. And that God is just all tricking all of us. Or or that we've tricked ourselves. But tonight I pray that each of us hang in the reality of God's power and work. Okay? So I need to pray. A ton of stuff on my heart. i got to pray for clarity. Let's pray and then we're going to go to work. Is that cool? And whether you think it's cool or not, we're doing it anyway. So, um, so God, right now, come in this place. Um, I pray, God, that you'll give me courage to speak your words. And I pray, God, that, that your words would be received by those who have never believed ever before and those, God, who need encouragement desperately tonight. Please come in your great and holy name. Amen. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. We've been studying verse by verse the amazing book of Exodus. We have watched the calling of this now old man Moses. He's 80 years old. He's a shepherd. He's in the wilderness. And all of a sudden he hears his name being called out twice by a burning bush. So he goes over, shows up. This burning bush in the presence of God begins to talk to Moses, begins to say things like, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard the groans of the Israelites. I know their burdens being enslaved by the Egyptians. And Moses, I'm going to send you to be the leader of this massive group of people who've been making babies all over the place out of Egypt. What we saw in chapter 3 is Moses really wrestling with that call. He first says, well, who, who am I? 
And God doesn't answer his question. God says, listen, you don't need to worry about who you are. What you need to know is who I am. And then Moses asks, well, who am I to say that you are? And as we saw last week, God simply responds, I am who I am. Drop the mic, done. I mean, just like, I, I, just, I just am, right? Well, tonight we come to a very, very interesting text in Exodus uh, chapter 4. Let's begin here in verse 1. Then Moses answered. And you're like, he's stopping already. It's going to be a long night. Yeah, it is. Um, um, then Moses answered. The problem is, uh, by my count, I don't see a question mark at the end of chapter 3. You can look in your word. Do you see a question mark at the end of chapter 3? No, what I see is commands by God. God doesn't ask questions. He's not sending like a friendship bracelet over to Moses and asking him if he would like to wear it. God says, this is what's going to happen. This is what you're going to do. And so by saying, and Moses wrote this, and I believe, by saying in verse 1, then Moses answered, it means that Moses now has an opinion has an answer to a question that God didn't ask. And many of you guys respond to God in the exact same way. God really hasn't asked a question. He's made something very, very clear, and yet you answer his question. It's the kid who listens to the parent and instantly, you know, reels off something in response to something that the parent has said to do, and then they're they're like answering as if now they're on the side of authority. So Moses answers God's non-question, but behold, he says in the middle of verse 1, They will, the Israelites, not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Moses says, I'm going to go tell the Israelites that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has come. He's appeared to me, and it's time to go, and they're going to say, God did not appear to you. There are certain moments in the Old Testament that are incredibly relatable to you and I, and this is one of them. If you've been a believer and been at all vocal about your faith, there have been people that have looked at you like you're crazy. There have been people that have said, God did not speak to you. God did not save you. You've created something in your own mind to make yourself feel better about life after death. God is not real. And the more you hear that, and the more you listen to certainly the deceptive lies of the enemy, then you start to believe in your own mind. Did God, did God appear to me? Maybe he didn't. I thought God called me, but I guess... Maybe I was confused. Maybe this was just all emotional, like my friend said. Maybe this really isn't a reality at all. The greater danger isn't that people will refute your testimony because they'll do it all the time. The greater danger is you start to refute your own. Enough lies, enough deception, enough people saying, are you sure? And pretty soon you start to question yourself. I'm just telling you right now, doubt is a very, very powerful thing. And right now, Moses is straight doubting. Why? In Exodus chapter 3, verse 18, God says, they will listen to you. God from a burning bush says, these people will listen to your voice. And just a few minutes later, Moses is like, they're not going to listen to me. Listen, if you're hearing God's voice out of a burning bush, don't you think it would be tough not to believe him? Apparently not. Right? And so now there's a little bit of relatability, and we're going to watch this journey go all throughout Exodus. If you saw a sea open, don't you think you would not, you know, don't you think you would not go against God? And they do anyway. So Moses answers God's non-question, and then verse 2, the Lord said, what is that in your hand? (laughs) Kind of a funny response, right? Moses questions God or answers God's question, and then God's next statement is, hey, what's that in your hand there, buddy? And, uh, And Moses said, and, I, you know, if it was me, it's like, you're God. Like, like, can't you see? Like, open your eyes. Are you blind, you know? 
uh, and then he would have smited me and struck me with lightning. But um, the Lord said to him, uh, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Okay. Uh, well, why a staff? Um, he's a shepherd, and he's old. Okay. Um, so not just is he a shepherd, but he probably needs a little bit of help walking. Okay. Um, this is like the ancient time walker. Okay. Like he's, he's 80 years old. Okay. He's got, uh, he's got a metal hip. He's got, you know, he's had some surgeries. He's gone through some things. Okay. And a staff, though, is a very interesting piece. It's something that, of course, he had in his hand because it was a part of his everyday life. And so the question is, why would God ask the obvious? And the answer is, so in this moment of time, Moses would answer the obvious. I love when God asks questions of us. And it's an answer that is crystal clear to everyone involved, but it's an answer that you need to answer because you've forgotten and so in this moment, he, like, he looks, right? And I, I, I'm guessing he looked. Like all of you guys, you would look, right? Because we're in general doofuses, right? What's that in your hand? Girls, they don't, they don't need to look, you know? You know, my purse, you know? But, but guys, like, right? Guys, we have to look. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. It's a, I got a staff right here, you know? Um, what's in your hand? He said a staff, verse 3. And he said, does God, throw it on the ground. Just go ahead. Throw that thing on the ground. So he threw it on the ground And it, my friends, became a serpent, and Moses ran from it, like all of you would, right? Come on now, be honest. How many of you guys hate you some snakes, okay? Snake haters, right? There you go. It's God's creation too, right? You're like, but it represents Satan. All right, fair enough, right? But the good thing is Jesus is going to stomp on the head of the serpent. That's what Revelation says. Anyway, okay? Thank you. Praise God. I actually thought I was dying right there. Like, and someone is, and see you in heaven. Um. Didn't that sound kind of like a shotgun? Anyway, um, the security guy like stood up in the back. What? Slow reflexes back there. Okay. Um, (laughs) All right. So he he lets down his he lets down his staff and it it becomes a snake. Check this out. If you've ever seen anything Egyptian, you know that on the headdress of pharaohs was a what? Was a serpent. So it's interesting now that God is going to use a serpent, and this is certainly going to go through our story in Exodus. But he runs from the work of God. I don't think that is just fear of the snake. I think in this moment he's again enamored, first by the burning bush, and now all of a sudden by a thing that he was just holding in his hand becoming a snake. He literally is running in fear from the way I would say it, the works of God. It's so crazy to me how early and how often the powerful, wondrous works of God create in us a desire to run from them. Why? Because with them come conviction. Because with them become the reality of who he is and the reality of who we are. Because with them come intense calls. And so it's easier at times to run from God's works than to take it in, than to watch it, than to hear what it would mean for us. Well, then God says, don't just run from it anymore. Look at this in verse 4. But God said, to, the Lord said to Moses, Yahweh does, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Listen, I'm not sure if you've ever caught a snake before. That's not snake catching 101, okay? Anyone know where you pick a, a, a snake up by, right? by its head? How many of you guys have been bitten by a snake here, okay? All right, right there. What, what kind of snake were you bitten by? Garter snake, that's lame. Anyone else? <laughs> Anyone else? We need something more hardcore. A what? A king cobra? Seriously? You're lying. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, we got one in the back. What's up? A black snake. Now we're talking. 
Okay, it's black, it's a snake, it sounds dangerous, right? Are black snakes poisonous? They're not. Have you been bitten by a copperhead? Okay, praise God. Now, if you, if you, you didn't die, so we can praise God. If you were, if you were to catch that snake, you'd you grab it by the head, right? Because you don't want the snake to bite you. Well, in this case, God commands Moses to grab it by the tail. Why? Why? Right? Because the whole purpose of this is, Moses, look, I'm going to do a whole bunch of things that are not logical. Just, get, just wait. Wait for the plagues. Wait for the rest of the story of Exodus. I'm going to do a bunch of things that make no sense, including right here, grabbing this used-to-be staff that's now a snake by the tail. So he grabs it, verse 4 says, and he put it out of his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Just imagine this. He reaches down. He was just running from it, and now it's a staff in his hand again. Just put yourself, if you can, just in that moment right now, unbelievable. And then verse 5, God says, that they may believe that the Lord, yod heh vad Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Remember Moses' problem? They're not going to believe he's appeared to me. And then God says, drop your staff. The whole purpose of this sign is God is going to use it as a means of ushering in the hearts of those watching to believe that God has, in fact, appeared to Moses. And some of you are like, look, it would be a lot easier for people to believe if he had appeared to me if I had a snake that, you know, used to be a staff, right? Wouldn't that be awesome if you could walk up to your non-believing friends? Watch this. Ta-da. You know what I mean? Like, who do you think did that? That's, that's God, you know? Let's go, right? And, and some of us are like, well, that would, be, that would be much better. I think our life, we diminish the evidence of so, so much. Uh, some of you who have really hardcore testimonies, like people that you were around, that you partied with, that you lived life, life with, that you did drugs with, and then all of a sudden they saw this massive change in you, your life is the evidence of the reality that God had appeared to you. And some of you guys know this, right? Like you start hanging out with the same friends that you used to, and like what in the world has happened to you? Okay. And unfortunately, some of us who don't have hardcore testimonies get jealous. We're like, my testimony would be so much better if I was a drug dealer. Have any of you guys ever thought that? I was a drug dealer, right? I mean, I was like estranged. I was going crazy, and then all of a sudden, God swooped in. Those of us who grew up in the church, you know, still wearing our choir robes, we get jealous of those people. And I'm telling you right now, we shouldn't. Just as much as the hardcore testimony is a display to God's appearing to those who he had appeared to, consistency in the old Christians works just the same way. And I'm not just talking about consistency in righteousness, because that's what some of you have in your mind. Okay, so yeah, I have to be consistently good. I'm talking about consistency in repentance. I'm talking about consistency in love. I'm talking about consistency in extending grace. This isn't a perfectionist lifestyle. It's a receiving grace lifestyle by the blood of Christ. So I just want you all to understand. We have, maybe not a staff that turns to a snake and back to a staff again. We have the evidence, and the evidence is our life. Celebrate what God's done. Don't run from that. Share it. And so then verse 6, magic trick number 2. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And if I were Moses, I'd be worried that a snake was going to come out of my chest. You know what I mean? He just did the snake thing. What? Okay, hand in my cloak. This is getting awkward. Okay, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, look at this. Behold, 
his hand was leprous like snow. I mean, just imagine this, right? He sticks his hand in, and what comes out is one white, blistery pus sack, okay? And I, I did it. I'm sorry. Cue the picture. Just kidding. Um, I did. I did. I did a little bit of research here, and I don't think this is leprosy as we think about it. I mean, I think this is literally, in a, in a moment, Moses' hand, we have someone dry heaving. That's good. Moses' hand, Moses' hand literally, like, it, it looks like it's been burned, it's scarred, it's nasty, it's scaly. And then look what happens next. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Now, first, before we go any farther, and there's so much more farther to go, um, there's been three things so far that has happened. The burning bush, that's pretty crazy. Moses got to see that, witness that. What does that tell us? That God can use whatever God desires to speak. And some of you guys know that truth full well. The second thing is a staff to a snake, a snake to a staff. What does that show? Again, like, I mean, God holds the universe, everything, even inanimate objects in his hand, in his control. And thirdly, listen to this. The image of a leprous hand being restored is way more powerful than just in Moses' context. I believe tonight some of you guys need healing. Healing physically, healing in relationships, healing emotionally, healing psychologically, healing sexually. There's all kinds of healing that I believe this room needs and has. And we could say things cliche like, well, God's the best doctor we got. But you know what? It's, an, it's one thing to say and it's a whole other thing to believe it. If God can take a leprous hand and in the slide of a, clo- a cloak without smoke and mirrors make it restored, then I'm saying how can he heal you? And have you asked him? Well, Mark, you know, a bunch of people have been praying or, yeah, I asked him one time and it, it went something like this. God, would you maybe please, if you would so enjoy, would you heal me maybe? And your will, you know, and we, we come to the throne of God through Christ with weak prayers that resemble no trust. And though I know God wouldn't say this, it, it's, I get the image of God like, like I've given you access to my throne, so come to it. Come to a believing that I can actually heal and restore, right? And so the, the scripture says that prayer offered in faith makes a sick person well. I'm just saying right now, for healing in the room, I feel like we just need to throw down right this very minute for God to do a healing work in you, whatever that may be. And some people may be like, well, I, man, Mark, you're certainly pressing some doctrinal lines with that. If I'm pressing doctrinal lines by saying my God heals, then I'm sorry. But he does, and it's time we start praying in faith for him to move in that way. And I think that was one of the pieces of Moses. Moses got to see firsthand that God wasn't just about taking people out of slavery. He's a God of healing. So let's pray that. God, for whatever my, and wherever my brothers and sisters are at right now, whatever need they have, whatever healing they need, I ask in faith, God, right now, that you would do a work. If it be emotional, God, I pray that you would bring a soothing comfort that doesn't just last temporarily like things of this world, but God, I pray that you would bring something eternal in them. God, give them an an eternal peace for those who have been sexually abused and and tormented. God, I pray that you would bring healing. God, remind them that that you'll never uh, turn your back on them, that you'll never uh, forsake them. God, love them tonight. Father, for those that need physical healing, sicknesses, aliments, God, things they're worried about, potential cancer, whatever it may be. 
all of these things right now. We lay at the foot of a throne who sits a God in you who can uh, restore the leprous hand and certainly can answer these prayers. So we pray that in your name. Amen. All right? So he puts his hand, pulls out the cloak, restored flesh. Verse 8, check this out. Hilarious. If they will not believe you, God says, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter, right? It's like, hey, if uh, the, the whole staff, the snake thing doesn't cut it, I bet this, uh, I bet this next one, I bet this cloak and the leprous thing will work, you know what I'm saying? And then he says this in verse 9. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Listen, if those two things don't work, let's just make some water blood. That will get them every time. You know what I mean? And, um, and unfortunately, some of us are so lured by this. We're like, everything would be easier if God still worked in this way. And I guess my question is, isn't he? Now, I don't mean necessarily like water to blood. I don't want you guys to go down to the Mississippi, right, and, and take your, you know, Xbox controller as your staff, you know, and, and say like, Lord, now make it. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this very intimate, personal God who moves and shifts and works is still working now. So here's what Moses says his response to these signs of God. Verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am what? Slow of speech and of what? Tongue. Okay. Many people have taken some guesses on what this is. Might have a stutter. He's been out of Egypt for 40 years, might have forgotten the Egyptian dialect. He might be insecure in light of that. But maybe you relate because you took public speaking before and you almost urinated yourself. How many of you guys sit in that category, right? Remember the first time you ever gave a speech? People say, like, people fear public speaking more than they do death itself, okay? The worst would be dying while public speaking. Like, those two things in combination would be horrible. But, But either way... Moses' first contention with God is to what? Say, they're not going to believe me. So first he does what we do. We point the finger. It's one it's their fault. They're not going to believe me. They're not going to trust me. And then what does he say? Well, well, well you know what? Actually, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, not, I'm not very eloquent, God. I'm not a good speaker. So this whole thing, it just needs to be called off because I, I, can't, I can't do it. I love the wordplay here. Look at what he says. I am not eloquent. Is it interesting to anyone else that God has just told Moses that his name is I am? And now Moses says, I am, not eloquent. Moses puts his I am over God's. Let's just take a second here if we can. Being consumed with ourself is utterly depressing. So why in the world is it continuing to happen? You want to be consumed with yourself? You look yourself in the mirror. And all you say every day is, I am this, I am that, I am this. And the next morning you come to the same place, recognizing your failures from the past 24 hours, and you get to say it again. How encouraging is that? We live in such an egocentric culture. And in Christ, something should be different about those who follow him. 
And it's taking the egocentric out and installing a Christ-centered heart. It's taking out a looking in the mirror and always talking about our inadequacies. Some of you talk about your sin too stinking much. You're like, Mark, but, but, but I've heard you say before we need to confess our sin. No one, I, I didn't say don't confess your sin. I'm just saying some of you talk about your sin, get consumed with your sin so much, it's no wonder why you're consumed with it because that's all you talk about. My sin this, my sin that. Let's stop talking about your sin. Why don't we talk about the God who's overcome your sin and his son Jesus? You see what I'm saying? Like our conversations are a little bit disjointed. Okay? We say we don't want to be self-centered, and then all we talk about is ourselves. And we do it in the auspice of confession of sin. Oh, I'm this, oh, I'm that. Waiting for other Christians to console us and give us encouragement. Instead of saying, you know what? Let's not talk about I am. Let's talk about the I am. Let's talk about the one who can actually pull me out of this junk that has made me self-centric in the first place. Okay? Moses' first problem here is that he says, I am. I'm not eloquent. I'm not this. I'm not that. And that's many of you guys to a T. God calls, and all you do is focus on your inabilities, your insecurities, who you are. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Come on. Notice he doesn't say woman's here. Because a, a woman's mouth uh, is a little bit more filled with gossip. You know what I'm saying? And this is just in general. Then the Lord said, who, is, who has made man's mouth? I love the distinction. And I'm just joking. Of course, God's made, made women's mouth as, mouth as, mouths as well. Um, who has made man's mouth? Look at this. Who makes him mute or, or deaf, or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? He's like, you're worried about your mouth? Who made that mouth? You're worried about the works of your hands? Who made those hands? You're worried about what's going to provide for you? Like, and the list goes on and on and on. God's point to Moses is, I, I'm like, I'm with you, brother. And not just with you, but I made the things that are going to enable you to actually be the things that I want you to be. I made them out. Then look what he says, verse 12. Now, therefore, go, and I love this, and I will be with your mouth, <laughs> right? But previously, in chapter 3, he said, I'll be with you. Now, I'll be with your mouth, right? And, and I, love, I love the image because it's so specific to where his insecurities lie. In other words, God knows us so well that he's willing to get very, very intricately specific to the very thing we fear the most. I'm going to be with your mouth. And he says, so go. We don't need to keep talking. What else do you need, Moses? You need to make something else a snake? You want me to stop the sun? Like, what, what do you want me to do? So I just want to turn to you guys for a second and say, what, what more do you want? We say all the time that we want signs and we want revelation and we want God to speak. And I'm, I guess I'm just asking, but isn't he all over? Isn't this room in and of itself one of the greatest evidences to God's power that on a Wednesday night at 9.40 at night, 350 people would sit in a room and celebrate the person of Christ? And then we would say, well, God's not moving. God's not moving. Like this moment in and of itself is proof that God is living that we don't serve a God in a tomb. He says, now therefore go, verse 12, and I will be with your mouth, and I love this, and teach you what you shall speak. Moses is hearing God's voice coming out of a burning bush. What could be more encouraging? And then Moses says in verse 13, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. 
staff to a snake. You know, the leprous pus thing. Burning bush. Hearing the, the voice of God. And he still desires God to send someone else. Take someone else. Um, I love hide and go seek. You guys love hide and go seek? You're like, that's kind of weird, Mark. Uh, we're not in a stage of life where we enjoy hide and go seek. Fair enough. Um, I have kids, though, and so I love hide and go seek. And uh, one of my favorite things to do with my children is hide. I love to be the hider because I love to scare. So every, and that, that sounds strange, but it's, it's fun. When you get kids, you'll understand. Like the reaction, the, you know. So here's what's hilarious is we'll play hide and go seek, and it's me hiding and all three of them uh, trying to find me. And they're super, super scared because I always, like, you know, come out and do obnoxious things. And I always turn the lights off, you know, because it ain't scary if it ain't dark, right? That's what my mom always said. So anyway, uh, so I turn the lights off, and he, it's, it's classic every single time. My youngest, Maddox, four-year-old Dawson, Avery, close to that height. Um, they're always trying to find me, and then they're always trying to usher Maddox, the youngest, as, like, the sacrificial lamb, <laughs> you know? I'm like, I'm, like, hiding around the corner in my dark toy room, and they're, like, right here. And I'll, I, I hear them whisper, like, Maddox, go in there, you know? <laughs> And I, I, I can see Maddox's shadow. He's, like, standing in front, like, looking around, like, you know, what you commies? Like, come on, man, you know? <laughs> I, I love it. And the imagery is this. The imagery is this. Um, fear is an incredibly powerful thing. And what fear does in terms of our call is it creates this mentality that there's always someone else that can do it. There's always someone else that can be pushed to fulfill the call that God has for us. That's the danger of sitting in a room this size. When we were a church of 20, no one could hide. When we first planted this church, it's like, who's serving in the kids' ministry? Everyone raised their hands, right? Uh, we are. Uh, who, who's on the greeting team this week? That's everybody, right? You know? Who, who's, you know and, I mean, the questions went on and on and on. I mean, we, no one could hide. And it, quite honestly, it was beautiful. Because in Christ, no one is called to hide. In fact, I would say this, and this may sound bold to you. One of the distinguishing measures of whether you are in Christ or not is whether the spiritual gifts and the fruits of the Spirit are being shown in your life. If you are being used by God. Once the Holy Spirit resides in you, God starts going to work and using you for his own glory and not for your own. So I'm just saying, Moses is like, hey, send somebody else. And I fear that many of you have that exact same attitude because you sit in a room with a sea of people and you think in your mind, surely there's someone else. Surely there's someone else that can go. There's someone else better gifted. There's someone else that looks better. There's someone, you know, and, and the list goes on and on and on. And so we're pushing to the front others while denying God's call in our life, even when it comes straight from the mouth of God. And listen, if you've ever looked for a time to be encouraged, maybe this is your moment. Even Moses, listening to God's voice from a burning bush and seeing his staff become a snake is like, no, send somebody else, right? So let's look at God's response. This is interesting. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Whoa, 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 whoa. And this like goes against many of your Sunday school upbringings. God doesn't get angry. Um, you know, God is love, right? God is just, you know, he's peace and tranquility. So, so what does this anger look like? 
Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like our anger in general. You know what anger looks like, and you know what unjust, unrighteous anger is. You felt it before, okay? Um, true, but funny story. I can't even tell you why. But when I was younger, I created a, a group called the Rabbit Busters. I was eight years old. And um, seriously, irrational. We had a rabbit population problem in our neighborhood. And, uh, and I'm sorry, girls. But what we would do is we, me and my buddies, we made shirts and everything. It's around the time Ghostbusters came out. We took baseballs. And we roamed our neighborhoods and threw them at, at rabbits, okay? Um, you do ir- irrational things when you're angry. I was like, I'm tired of seeing rabbits. I hate rabbits. And it was, it was pointless. Like, who hates a rabbit? I did. I hated rabbits. You know what I'm saying? And unfortunately, I never hit a rabbit, only a small child. So it kind of like ended up like working, you know, having to be my sister. I was like, ah, that's, my aim is way off, right? In our anger, we do irrational things. And I'm just telling you this right now. The anger of the Lord looks much different. Um, I've tried to describe this to a lot of my friends here recently. We try to understand certain components of God that, quite honestly, are not understandable. Uh, Trying to understand how God could be rightly, justly angry and still merciful and gracious is apart from us. But God's anger is just because he's God. He's perfect. God's anger is righteous because he has a perspective of everything and his plan especially and not just our little microcosm. So you kind of picture God like with Moses at this point being like, like, are you kidding me? Right? But God's not surprised. He's not surprised. And so here's God's plan. Is there not, middle verse 14, Aaron, your brother, the Levite? (laughs) Right? It appears like God's like, plan B. Forget it, Moses. I'm going with Aaron. This whole burning bush thing should have started with Aaron in the first place. Grab your staff. It's never going to turn to a snake again. And the head and shepherd your sheep. No. Look what he does in his mercy. Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. When we get angry, what do we do? Come on. Irrational things. We yell a lot. We give the cold shoulder a lot. We get emotionally involved way too far. We do stupid things when we get angry. What does God do? He's merciful, even in his anger. He's like, Moses, are you, come on. Okay, here's Aaron, you know. Here, mercy. Mercy. Moses, you don't deserve to be used by me. You're you're not getting any of this, but you know what? My plan prevails. That's, That's the point. You think God was going to say, Moses, you're my man, and they'd be like, mm, no, never mind. No, God's plan prevails, and a moment like this proves it. Some of you guys have tried running, haven't you? Right? And I feel like that moment for some of you is tonight, right now. You've tried running, and it's like everywhere you turn, God has a very specific call, and you've been pushing other people all along. Hey, just try someone else, this person over here. God, they'll be great, trust me. I know them, good people, good people. But God is just chasing, pacing after you. No, I'm, my plan will prevail. My plan will prevail, and that's what happens here. Here's Aaron. So you're going to go see him, and he's going to be happy. The end of verse 14 says he's going to be glad in his heart. Kind of weird. Verse 15, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. This is weird now. And I will be with your mouth. And look at this, I love this. And not just with your mouth, Moses, but with his mouth. So God's going to be with Moses' mouth and Aaron's mouth. That's pretty awesome, right? 
and will teach you both what to do. I love that. He's not just going to empower them. He's literally going to shepherd them, intimately connect with them, love these two leaders of the Israelites out of Egypt. Verse 16, he shall speak uh, for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. You will train him. You will love him. You will encourage him. You will shepherd. And look at verse 17. I love this. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. So just imagine this moment for Moses. He's like sitting there, and God says, here's Aaron. You have no excuse now, right? And take this very ordinary object and watch how I'll use this piece of wood to free my people. What I'm saying tonight is, could it be that after years and years and years of running from your call, running from a relationship, running from something very specific that God has gifted you to do, could it be that right now in this almost weird moment that God could use these very moments to say, why don't you stop saying this? Next slide. Aren't you tired of saying this? Aren't you tired of praying this? Aren't you tired of always looking around and your insecurities and inadequacies and wondering where someone else will rise to the top? Um, I think actually we pray this. And like I talked about in the image with my kids, fear is what drives man to say this. Fear is what drove Moses to say this. It's a fear of what will happen when we get exposed. Will, will God stay with us? Will, what will happen when all of a sudden we do answer the call and things get dicey? And let's just make darn sure all of us are together in that doctrine. God's calling is not guaranteed safety. Can, can, amen? Okay? Because some of us have equated safety with God's calling. If it ain't safe, no. Because remember, God will protect me. Whoa, 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 whoa. God's protection is eternal. But what happens to you for the cause of Christ in the flesh? No guarantees. Ask the, ask the apostles. Ask the disciples. Ask Peter as he's hanging upside down on a cross how safety went for him. You guys see what I'm saying? I'm so sick and tired of the American Christian bubble that we've placed not just God, but our lives in such a comfortable, complacent box that says if we can just exist here and live in here and kind of act like we're being called by God in this thing, then it will all be fine. When God's like, no, the very thing I'm calling you to do is to be stretched beyond your own gifts so that you can actually rely on me. If you, could you live your Christian faith right now without relying on God? And my point is, many of you right now, as it currently stands, could. You could exist completely relying on your own gifts. One of the most wise things I ever heard was in my church planning assessment. When I was 24 years old, I was ambitious. We had a crazy vision of planting a church in a weird way. Wednesday night, Sunday night, felt called by God. And the church planter uh, that, that was assessing me, still a good friend, he looked at me in the eyes and he said, Mark, one of your most dangerous, most dangerous things you'll always have to wrestle with is resting in your gifts and not your reliance on the Lord. So I'm just saying right now, could you, as it currently stands, exist as a Christian with seemingly no faith at all? Because you've created a life that's so incredibly comfortable 
that is denying God's call, that you really don't need God, except when it's convenient. You guys see what I'm saying? This is insanely dangerous, but this is where we're at. Lord, send someone else. I mean, come on. I'm, God, you wouldn't call me to get dirty. I mean, you wouldn't call me to give up my life. You wouldn't call me to move here. You wouldn't call me to restore this relationship. You wouldn't call me to pursue this classmate. They're going to ridicule me, God. You wouldn't call me to sit in this, like, and on and on and on. Lord, send somebody else. You can do it, God. We're like cheering God on to send someone else when all the time God is saying, just as he did to Moses, 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 no, Moses, I'm with you. What does it look, look like to start praying this instead? Instead of, Lord, please send someone else. Lord, please send me. And you're like, well, Mark, I'm not called to go to Ecuador. Didn't say that. You're like, Mark, is this like missions night or something? Every night's mission night. Every night's mission night. And send me, I think many of you guys just equivocate with, an, with a location. Um, I pray that the Lord sends me to tomorrow. You're like, well, what do you mean by that? I'm not talking about living tomorrow. If God wants to take me, then to live as Christ, to die is gain. I'll miss my kids and I'll miss my family, but quite honestly, being in the presence of the Lord is better than those things. Is it for you? Right? I shared with you guys last week, like my, my, my son is struggling with the thought of heaven because he wants to play Uno, right? And I, I, just, I just don't struggle with those things. I love my kids. I love my family. I love all of you. Being in the presence of the Lord, way better. Way better. So we're saying like, Lord, please send me. And it may just be to tomorrow. God, send me. And whatever you want to do with me tomorrow, send me. Send me to tomorrow. Send me to my prayer closet in the morning. Send me to my class after that. Send me to relationships that I can interact with. Send me bearing the gospel after. God, send me. Wherever you are, God, send me. Don't send anyone else, God. Send me right now. I'm willing to accept the call that you've been whispering for years and years and years, and yet I've been running from it because I've been fearful. God, I'm tired of the fear. How many of you right now would just in your heart say, I'm tired of the fear? And it's crushed you. It's crippled you. When the adventure, the life, the abundant peace of following Christ comes into praying that prayer, Lord, please send me now. But maybe, just maybe, we'd tonight be willing to actually pray this prayer as well. Lord, please send us. I don't know if you've noticed, but Matthias is, uh, is growing. Okay? People be having babies like the Israelites. All right? We got more people pregnant right now than we do people. I mean, it's, it's insane. Okay? Um, we had, uh, we had li- tonight, literally at first service, like nearly 500 people at the first service. Okay? And, I mean, it's just, it, it's fun. It's exciting. A lot of growth. A lot of new people. A lot of new families. A lot of new college students. A lot of se- new season people. So I say, why? Is it so that we can come together and say, man, this sure is fun to be together. It's nice. It's real nice. And then we can hide because it's a crowd. In, out. Shake a few hands. Kiss a few babies. And on our way. Right? The politician Christian. No. We are here together at this particular church community. Some of you called here, some of you visiting from other places. We're called here in this particular community to come together and pray that prayer together. Lord, please send us together.
And wherever it is us is, help us together rely together on you and not one another. The beauty of the church is not a whole bunch of people using their gifts, relying on other gifts to be used while looking at each other. The beauty of the church is people using their gifts together relying on the Lord who's providing them. But we can't see those things if everybody be sitting on the bench. We get like a pseudo picture of the church. A few who are kind of out there and everyone else who is saying, hey, way to go. You guys are doing great. You guys keep leading. You'll hear me say it once. I'll say it another hundred times. This church isn't based around a person or a few people or even a group of people. It's based around God's body, brothers and sisters in Christ, called by God to say, God, send me. And I feel like tonight there's something very specific for all of you. I feel like tonight, and this may be bold, I feel like tonight God is saying something very specific to each of you individually. I feel like some of you guys tonight walk in here ready to flip God off. I hate you, God. Don't love you, God. Never believed in you. And yet, as we've been talking, there has been something. We're like, you know what? I'm tired of living fearful. I'm tired of living for the world. I'm tired of living for these things. I'm ready for something else. I'm ready to encounter this God. And I'm just saying that that can be yours tonight. I feel like many of you guys have been denying God's specific call for years and years and years of your life. You know it. Come on. He's been calling you to build that relationship, to finally have that conversation, to finally move this way, to finally take this job, to finally do whatever it is, and you've just been saying, yeah, not so sure. What would it look like if us, each of us, prayed this prayer tonight and then watched God answered. What if our conversations next week when we gather together weren't how was the weather? What if they were, so what did God do in answering your prayer from last week? Did he send you? Where'd you go? Don't you long for the world to say, hey, where are you going? And you get to say, I'm not sure. And own it. The most feared question for a college uh, junior, the most feared question for a high school junior is what? So what are you doing next year? What are you going to do? Where where are you going to get a job? Wouldn't it be awesome if you could start saying and own it? Not sure. But he knows. And it's all good. Because I'm, Lord, whatever you want to do. And I'm not saying that as a lazy cop-out for some of you bros. Oh, I'm not sure. And then you're, you know, 27. Not sure. Okay. Not saying that. Not saying that. But what I am saying, the world needs to see a bunch of people who are not just praying, but who are living. God, send me. And I think it's in that moment that the world believes that God might actually not be smoke and mirrors, but that his people are showing him to be real. Not an illusion. Not a magic trick. But the true God of this universe. Let's stand together. So it's time to pray. It's time to pray tonight. And our prayer will begin with this. You individually communicating to God the ways that you've been fearful to go. 
just speaking it. God, here's me. I haven't wanted to go. I haven't wanted to do that. I know you've been calling me, but I haven't. Let's just for a few minutes here, just speak those. Confess those. Share those. Let's lay our heart before God tonight. Come on. God, I pray that we would sense and know the reality that you have not given us a spirit of fear. Not a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of sound mind. And so we lay these things before you, confessing to you, God, that we have feared. We have been reluctant. We have pulled up short. We have lived comfortably. We have put you and our Christian life in a box. God, we're just here confessing all those things. Here we are, messed up, broken vessels. But in your grace and in your mercy, we're also praying, despite our poor past, that you would send us, that you would give us opportunities, that you would use us as ministers of reconciliation. God, we will wait right here for you to speak for you to move, for you to call us. God, open our eyes to hear.